Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to the emergency podcast here, PHLY Sixers podcast. Daryl Morey gets an extension, so you get extra of us. Kyle Newbeck, Derek Bodner, I'm Devon Givens with you. Is that a threat or a promise or like how does that work, Devon? That's a positive. That's a positive. (laughs) It's not a threat. It's just simply a positive thing as we get together here because you're going to see us tonight after the Sixers host the Pistons as well. So we're going to be with you here for this emergency pod. We'll talk to you later after the Sixers for a postgame show as well. But we had to come right in and jump right in and get this conversation in a three-year deal. looks like for Daryl Morey. And a lot to go along with it. We'll dive into everything from his moves, how it looks right now with Nick Nurse, Joel Embiid, and his history with Daryl Morey. Let's get into it. Kyle, let's start with you, man. Good afternoon. I I did not expect this, but hey, you know, this happens sometimes in sports. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we had heard basically any discussion of this. I think... The only discussion we've had about Maury recently is, you know, what is he going to do in late January, early February? How is he going to pivot this team essentially to get the best out of what they currently have while also recognizing, hey, they probably have to go up another level to really contend this year. But I think where I would ultimately fall on all of this, my first thought is, Daryl has been largely positive for the organization. Like there have been some ups and downs. There certainly was a crisis of confidence in the fan base. There's still a bunch of people who are not big fans of his, I would say, or around the city, but made a lot of good, important moves, you know, specifically drafting Tyrese Maxey, specifically navigating the Harden trade well, like not overwhelmingly winning it, but certainly doing a good job with what he got there. And I would say their overall track record in terms of drafting young players, identifying young talent has been pretty strong when you consider where they've had their picks. You know, they, he does get dinged for letting someone like Isaiah Joe go, but they've pulled rotation players out of the second round. A guy like Paul Reed becomes a, a, an important part of the team getting taken in the second round. So lots of little wins too, but I think the the big headline is that the big stuff has gotten done well and 
now he his timeline aligns with Nick Nurse, and I think that makes more sense than anything else to just to have the the stability and the the cohesion between the two leaders of the team. I would say. So I I just want to say that my computer just gave me a message that uh, it installed a BIOS update. And it's about to reboot in five minutes. I'm trying to find a way to prevent that while Kyle is talking. But if I just disappear, you all know why. Thank you, <laughs> Lenovo. Uh, yeah, no, look, I think. What did we give him when we did these? Because we, we we graded him before the season. I was feel it like B we were in minus? the B range. Yeah, I, I feel like we were saying like it was you know a B, but because of everything that was going around, it probably felt worse than that. Somewhere it might have been a B minus, might have been a B. I don't remember exactly. I think that's largely true. You know, we maybe even were a little bit harsh on him because I do think he's navigated these uh, weird. Now look, he's, he acquired James Harden, so he put himself in the weird spot, but he navigated outside of that pretty well. And the one thing I will say, like. He drafted Tyrese Maxey, franchise altering. Again, he just came in like a month or so before. There might have been a couple of weeks before that, that, that weird COVID year. Um, but that has to at least be on the ledger. That is a massive, massive, massive deal. And he hasn't made any significant mistakes. And he's been in, in a spot now, two different spots, where he was in, there were there were landmines all over the place. And again, he placed some of those land landmines, so it's a little hard to know how much credit to give him. But there were landmines all over the place in terms of that, that Ben Simmons contract extension in terms of Ben Simmons deteriorating as a player and as an asset, Ben Simmons demanding a trade, um, you know, James Harden demanding a trade, the James Harden contract, potential contract that he would have gotten here this summer was a landmine. He hasn't fallen on any of them yet. So when you have a bunch of, you know, I think the, the depth has been improved. Uh, I think the Tyrese Maxey piece is significant. When you have a significant addition, a bunch of minor additions and no landmines, you're doing a pretty good job. Um, and I certainly think when you look at it, I'm going to try to get my monologue off here in case I do end up rebooting. And again, when I let Devon go, I'm going to look for a way to prevent that. This organization has just been, in terms of stability at the top, it has been a dumpster fire of a dumpster fire of a dumpster fire. It has been ever since Jerry Colangelo walked through that door. And I remember sitting in that press room when he literally walked through that door. And it was shocking because nobody knew what was happening at that time. Ever since Jerry Colangelo walked through that door, it has been instability at the top of the organization. Joel Embiid just referenced that on Tyrese Maxey's podcast literally the other day. So to have a chance to have at least a good GM, debate whether he's great, whether he's good. I know there will be some detractors that will say he's bad. He's not bad. To have a good GM in place for the rest of, of Joel Embiid's prime. And now you have a chance with the core four of Maury, um, Nurse, Embiid, and Maxey. And I think there's still room to grow. You know, I think we look at Joel Embiid like he's at the end of his prime. I'm not, I don't buy that. And now I look at Maxi as a, a legitimate Batman or a Robin to his Batman to have the rest of the pieces in place. I just think there's real benefit to that. And the place where I was going to go, guys, was consistency, uh, as, as you guys were talking about it, just because of the fact that as you all laid out that so much turnover since the Brett Brown era and the Jerry Colangelo and all those things that we're all very familiar with of watching this team over so many years here, having consistency now where this is year number four for Daryl Morey in this position, adding the three plus years to go along with the Joel Embiid timeline and Nick Nurse timeline. There's no sense because as Derek, you just laid it out, there's nothing that he has done that's been worth not being there. Uh, he's done a good, more than a good enough job. And, and you can argue if he's been great, the fan base has been tough on him. There have been questions that we have had. There have been questions that I have had. And there goes well, Derek. Apparently, Derek's part. computer <laughs> shut down in the middle of our stream. So two-man well, we two weave now. 
You got it, man. <laughs> Two-man break here. Uh, but the consistency that we will most likely see now here going forward with that core four that you both laid out is very important. So there was no reason for him not to be here. There was uh, all the reason for this to happen, even though we may not have heard about it, just simply because uh, he's done a good enough job. And now the question is on you. The change has been made at the coach. Changes have been made with the personnel in terms of the players. He has done a large part of that. Joel Embiid, whatever happens with his future, whether he's here or eventually asks out, doesn't seem like based on how this year is going that that will be the case. But now we, you know, we can look at and number one, settle things down because everyone's going to be here. But in the event that something does go wrong, we know where the conversation will most likely lead to at that point because of the personnel moves that are going to be there going forward. Your two guys are Maxie and Embiid. Okay, now what? What's going to happen with DeAnthony Melton in the offseason? What's going to happen with Tobias Harris in the offseason? What's going to happen at this trade deadline? All of these other players that are behind those names that we mentioned are largely going to be free agents or sent elsewhere in some sort of deal. So this is where I think the the rubber of the stamp is going to be hitting hitting the paper of how we are really, really now going to largely look at his tenure as a general manager, as a president of basketball operations, pardon me, of this organization and how good he is going to be. Before, when they were second round exits, before he got here, he said, I wasn't here. That doesn't have anything to do with me. Grade me on what I am here to do now and what I am doing. On the well, two the second, second round exits that he's had so far. <laughs> since, since then, right? Yeah, since the ones that he wasn't involved with. Now he has his own, but now going forward with these extra years, it's on him too. As much as it's going to be on the players, it's on him to put the right players around those two core players to give Nick Nurse what he needs to make sure that this team is contending in the East and eventually fighting for a championship opportunity. So uh, this is a this is an interesting move. Uh, right now, um, hey, it's what it is. It's what happens in, in professional sports. It's what happens in the NBA. He has done a good enough job to get an extension. So let's see what he does with it from here on out. So I would say this too. We, we brought up the words stability and you know, leadership change. I know Derek brought up Jerry Colangelo and basically everything that happened since then. I think even... Just having the clarity of like, this guy's the lead guy at the top, because I mean, there was a point in time where you had essentially Brett Brown was front and center uh, and might not have been the actual decision maker, but is being put forward as that. And, you know, Alex Rucker, who was a, a big analytics guy in the front office, is shadow running the team at some point. There's reporting from other people that ownership is getting way too involved at different points. And so... One thing that I think Maury's arrival has helped with is that it has brought clarity to the organization. Now, that could happen with other executives, certainly. But I think if uh, maybe one of the most important things coming out of this is that I think it says a lot about where they feel Joel Embiid is at, right? Like, I don't think Daryl Maury gets an extension or, frankly, signs an extension if they don't feel pretty confident about having Joel with them moving forward about his relationship with Daryl, his ability to be a partner with Joel, because that's what these guys are at the highest levels of organizations in the NBA. Now, like we saw it with before it fell apart with James, that was the sort of dynamic that Daryl had with James. And I guess Devon, that that's probably a good place to pivot to 
you know, the big move that I think Daryl has probably been judged by so far is the Harden trade. And I guess it's two Harden trades. On both sides, right. Yeah. So the it depends on how you look at it on the first one. Let, let's start there. I think given where Ben has gone and where he is as a player right now, that was a great deal with the power of hindsight. I thought it was a good deal. Good, maybe not great deal based on the results where, you know, you don't move any further, but we had the best Joel and B partnership ever up to that point, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of the pushback has come from, well, why didn't they trade for Halliburton? And yes. look, I would be lying to you if I w- would sit here today and be like, well, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't want Halliburton on this team. And there's Derek popping in midstream. We're getting to the, I don't hear your mic quite yet, but we'll get there. No, I, had a, I had one more button to hit. I'm good to go. Hey, there we go. So I was saying, Derek, that the big debate, I think, with Maury in Philadelphia so far is the first Harden trade, because I believe a lot of people think should have traded for Halliburton. And as far as you and I know, and Devon, you can speak to this too, if you have any insight, it's not really clear that Halliburton was actually available to the Sixers. The Kings were interested. I have gotten very mixed messaging on that from a lot of different parties. And I've said this before, it's one of those things where right now it would be almost impossible to actually get the bottom of it because the Sixers aren't going to admit that they passed on Halliburton and the Kings sure as hell aren't going to admit they were really interested in Ben Simmons at that time. So it's going to be tough to really cipher through that. Uh, I have gotten very mixed, mixed messaging. Some people are convinced it was available and on the table and other people are convinced it was not. Yeah, and you and I, Derek, I know, have talked to people who have pretty deep Ooh. connections to the Kings, not the Sixers. And so to for it not to be clear, just says that we're never going to get a real verdict on this. And I think it's probably unfair to be like, we should have done that when even people with the Kings or around the Kings are like, yeah, I don't know if they would have done it. I don't know if they actually wanted Ben enough to trade it, trade Halliburton for him. But that is kind of the big piece of debate here is, well, you could have gotten a younger guy and probably paid less than they did to get Harden. Yeah, and you wonder how he would have, of course, fit next to Maxi in the backcourt. You talk about two young players going forward without the James Harden piece, whether they would have been ready as you look at Harden with Embiid and pairing him with him and then Maxi taking that next step. You're looking at a different type of timeline but that is always going to be the one that is up in the air that is questioned. Was that actually available? Did he turn it down? Did he actually try to cu- uh, force Tobias Harris in the deal also to try to get off of that money that, you know, that was always another thing that was mixed in there. And that's what he's always been until he, until this team with him at the helm gets past that second round, finally, maybe even to the NBA finals or some other move that, really propels them to that level, that's always going to be the one. But to go to the Harden piece, I was good with it when it happened because it was just time. It needed to happen. Ben Simmons was a net negative. He was giving you absolutely nothing, and you didn't have enough. And you still got an all-star level player back. He was good enough to be an all-star level player at that time. He was certainly good enough last season, led the league in assists, had some big games in the postseason, also had some really poor ones in that Boston series. But for the year and a half that James Harden was here, if the Halliburton thing was not available and we don't know of any other clear-cut 
moves that could have been made or turned down that were on the table during that time, it was a good move for the Sixers. They probably should have been in the Eastern Conference Finals last last uh, spring. They were not, but they were good enough to be there, I thought, and he was a big part of that, good and bad. So when we look back at it and it happened, he did it in terms of Maury making that deal. It was a good move then. It was an okay time here because they never got past the same thing that uh, continues to be in their way, that one roadblock, and that is to get to that second round. I'm still fine with it if that Halliburton thing was never on the table, whether it was Halliburton and Buddy Heald or uh, Halliburton and Harrison Barnes, whatever that move may have been, that hypothetical move, we will never know as you both laid out. So that's my opinion on everything with, with that trade with James Harden. And now that we get to the second piece where it seems like it worked out for the better for the Sixers right now, where vibes are better, vibes are different. Uh, the coach can do so many more things with the personnel that he has. We've talked about the amount of wings that they have that they haven't had for many, many years, as long as they've been making the playoffs now for seven seasons, they haven't had this plethora of wings to go with these different lineup constructions because of what they currently have. And then it'll also allow Tyrese Maxey to take that next step of being that, that Robin to Joel Embiid's Batman that we weren't ever sure about. We still have to wait to see how it plays out in the postseason. But for right now, he looks to be the, he looks to be able to play the part. And so Two different results here, of course, with the trades. One good, maybe this one could turn out to be great. It's still undetermined. We still don't know. Still incomplete. But those are my thoughts on the front end and the back end of the James Harden deal. Uh, so I would also say this. I'm paying some attention to the chat who they're saying, well, Daryl admitted on the radio that and I don't think that actually happened as it's being described. If you guys think you know better than people who work for the Sacramento Kings, who are themselves not clear on whether the, the Halliburton was ever available for Ben Simmons, then you guys host the Sixers podcast. How about that? Since you know so much about the inner workings of the league, you guys do a trade rumor podcast every week. You guys tell me who exactly was available. Most of the stuff that was available to that point that you made, Devon, was like, hey, CJ McCollum might yep. be available. James Harden certainly better than CJ McCollum. We know that there were conversations with Sacramento. That's basically all that we know. It wasn't clear if they were going to trade Fox or Halliburton. And in fact, the reporting around the Sabonis trade was that people were shocked that they trade Halliburton and not Fox in the Sabonis deal specifically. So the idea that Sabonis, who had fewer red flags at the time, like, yeah, maybe less of a high ceiling than people thought Ben did at that point still, but a, a more presently valuable player than Ben was that they didn't trade, that they traded Sabonis for or Halliburton for him. Why would they trade Halliburton for Ben who at the time was damaged goods? I like, I don't understand the logic on that. So, so I, and by the way, it's never since, clear that by the way, yeah. Alex, so I, 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 while you were talking, uh, I brought up the interview that he did with Anthony Gargano, who may be able to talk to in the future. Um, <laughs> they asked him, uh, like uh, if the Sixers could have acquired Halliburton or somebody else for Simmons. Maury said, well, I wish we had, um, he then went on to say he can't speak of specific players, but I wish we had a bunch of options. Um, he also then says, uh, hold on. The Harden trade was really the only one available, um, but I think as evidence that we turned ev over every rock. So Interesting. Saying, so you're saying, saying 
You're saying that all these people who are convinced that Hal Burton's on the table might be wrong. He's he's saying that the Harden one was the only trade on available. But again, this was in tw- in the summer of 2023. Maury's not going to come on there and be like, yeah, this this guy who's now leading the league in assists and probably going to be an yeah, all star this year. He was available. We just didn't know he was going to be this good. He can't say that. But I don't think he actually said that the Halliburton trade was on a trade. I don't remember that. And the quick Google on a, uh, pulling up a USA Today report that has a, the direct transcriptions. Uh, I was I there too. He said that, and, and I replayed that at the time. I don't remember him saying that they that he was flat out on the table at that moment. You know who can say it? Bob Myers. He just did when he had had an opportunity on the end season tournament because Ty- Tyrese Halliburton is tearing the league up to say that the Golden State Warriors made the mistake because of their reason. He could say that. He should say it. Daryl Morey right now is not going to say something like that. And and to be clear to the chat, as you're saying, Kyle, when all of that was going on and you would start to hear McCollum and Halliburton, et cetera, some of these other players, and Harden also, I was against the Harden thing. I was against it. I was like, okay, I got it in the end because of the relationship. Can they separate themselves? Can he get away from this? Can can James yeah. Harden realize that he has lost a lot and he's not, he's gonna come in here and understand that this is Joel Embiid's team and not his, because his guy is running the franchise. And then you hear reports that, what was the other one? Oh, James Harden, uh, pardon me, Joel Embiid wanted Bradley Beal. Remember that guys, when that came mm-hmm. became a thing where uh, nationally, it was talked about Bradley Beal. Joel Embiid was a little more upset because they didn't go acquire Bradley Beal from the Washington Wizards. That deadline, he wanted his friend. He wanted his guy, not James Harden. So if I, if, at the time when I was looking at it, I wasn't saying, hey, yes, go run and get James Harden. No, I wasn't. But when it happened, when the deal was made, what we saw, sure, you didn't want to give up Seth Curry and Andre Drummond in the deal and all that. But you also got an all-star point guard that was going to be a little bit different to set Joel Embiid up, to do make it easier. There were times where we were talking and Ben Simmons, as good as he was, we sat back and watched, why can't he get him an easy shot without Joel Embiid having to work so hard? You know what James Harden did? He got him easier shots where he didn't have to work as hard to get those shots and also helped him lead him to an MVP. So it wasn't all that bad, folks. You may not like James Harden. You may have said, oh, they lost that trade. We got fleeced. No, you didn't. You got the best player out of the deal. It didn't end where you wanted to end, but you got the best player. So let's stop that. Let's stop. Also, so people are also, Money Mar brought up in the chat that Halliburton said himself, his agent told him to be prepared to go to Philly on Paul George's podcast. Yes, because the Sixers talk to Sacramento. That does Mm -hmm. not mean that Sacramento put Tyrese Halliburton on the table and were willing to trade him. Those are two separate ideas. And anyway, I've made this point on this exact podcast before. Tyrese Halliburton would not have driven the Sixers a single game further over the past two seasons than James Harden did. And in fact, I would argue they would have lost sooner than they did to Boston more than likely would have lost sooner than they did to Miami. The argument for Halliburton is about what is the future runway? And so much of that has been, we thought that the Sixers were boxed into a corner. They had no avenues out of here. Well, I think what we would all probably agree on, you guys can push back, obviously, if you feel differently, is that now they at least have some options here, right? They have some picks that they can move. They have cap space coming in the summer. So they have multiple pathways to turning that all that stuff into a legitimate third guy 
next to Joel and Tyrese, who, again, I feel like we've skipped over the Tyrese portion of this podcast. Drafting Tyrese is the single most important thing that Maury has done. We can say he fell into his lap. He fell to the 20s. And Derek has rightfully brought up on this podcast a bunch of times. If they really were convinced Tyrese is going to be this guy, they would not have sat and let him fall there. They would have traded up. They would have shown greater conviction on draft night. So there's an element of luck to a certain degree. But you need an element of luck to get a guy like that in the 20s, period. Like that's you're good to be a good GM, you have to get fortunate sometimes. A lot of good GMs have screwed up over and over and over again. I think the important thing that Maury has shown during his time here. When he has made mistakes, like the P.J. Tucker signing, for example, he hasn't doubled down on them. He got Tucker out of here in the Harden deal. When Harden was showing the signs of wear and tear, rather than committing a gigantic long-term contract, he let things get uncomfortable, but ultimately moved him for a decent package, said, I'm not going to cripple the organization over the long term to pacify James in the short term. And that's the important stuff, I think, as the GM, like, we're all to a degree working with similar information at some point. It's the fact that he's been able to get in and out of these situations and continue to make them a realistic contender over the last three years is what I would say. Right. I mean, look, I think, and, and the chat's going pretty wild here. I'm actually a little bit surprised, it, which, which I, I get because Halliburton's turned into a tremendous player. Um, but let's say, and my whole stance is I'm not saying he wasn't offered Halliburton. I'm saying I don't know because there's so much conflicting information. But let's say even if he was. So what does that mean? Like you fire him. You don't give him a new contract because he made one mistake. You're going to fire a good GM. Like that's the way to never have any kind of organizational stability because every GM, even the great ones, are going to make mistakes. I remember going back and uh, talking to Rich about it on, on the predecessor to this podcast. Harden was my number one option. I remember the Halliburton room is coming up being like, I'm really intriguing him because of the youth. I think he would be a great option, but I think Harden is, is more ready to drive winning right now. And I prefer Harden just full stop. I'll admit to that. I was wrong. GMs were wrong. GMs will always be wrong. I don't think anyone in the league saw Halliburton developing into what he has become. It happens. All you can look at and say, look at his full body of alert of work and look at the other options that are out there because Kyle and I were talking about this a little bit before the show. When you have a chance to hire a GM, it's usually not like, hey, that GM's contract ran out and you can go out and get the best GM in the league. That just doesn't usually happen. Teams, they almost always come to an agreement to extend that or to stay at their place. You get GMs that were fired that did not succeed. And they did not succeed. Why? Because they made mistakes. So you're not going to have an option to hire a, a GM with a clean slate, with a perfect track record. You're going to have mistakes. Look at the whole body of work. I think Daryl has done a good job. Not a perfect job. Certainly, if the Halliburton deal was actually on the table, that would be a pretty significant mistake. We don't know whether it truly was. The overall body of work, I think this is the guy you probably want leading your franchise, or at least I think it's reasonable to buy into him. It's real easy to be perfect in retrospect. It's real freaking easy. I always say that. Like, I think back. Devon's muted, by the way. I'm I don't good, know man. what's going yeah. on with this. I'm there I'm you good. go. Whatever I, because I, I covered the draft for so long, just go back and record all of your draft thoughts before the draft. And five years later, go look at them. You will look like a freaking moron. Do that with trades too. You will remember your successes, the ones that you were right on. You kind of forget the ones that you weren't. Um, Halliburton has, I think, exceeded all expectations. It happens. And Phil W in the chat, I was not 
was not a hardened guy. That was Derek. He just copped up to it. Not me. Not <laughs> Throw me. Throwing Derek under the bus. <laughs> no. And it's funny because when we talk about that, and you, you know, you start to go back and think, I was even more of thinking along the lines of, hmm, could CJ McCullum play next to uh Tyrese Maxey? And that would be a, a better fit. Even though neither were pr- pure point guards, it was just more of, hey, you got a guy who can absolutely get his own shot end of quarter situations, end of game situations. You know he's a pro, smaller defender. Defense is not going to be all that great. It's going to be the same with James Harden. I was even talking myself into that because I didn't want James Harden. But again, for what he did, he did good enough, but he didn't do what they needed him to do in the long run. But we can keep going on and on about that when they kind of had that revisionist history. My, my only other part to add to that before we get to some of the, uh, how it lines up with Embiid, you already talked about Nick Nurse as well, is if you remember and Maury talking about in that interview, Derek, uh, with Anthony, that he mentioned that he was, and he said it publicly in other places too, we are going to take our time. We're not going to rush. We're not going to do it f- just to do it for the sake of making a deal. And he did it. He did it because he got a better player and he didn't and nothing else happened at that trade deadline to have any of us look back and say, you should have done that, except for the Tyrese Halliburton piece, which we still, as you guys just laid out, don't know enough to say that that was actually on the table, despite what Tyrese Halliburton, his agent can tell him whatever he told him because they were having conversations. Didn't mean that there was an actual trade on the table and that that was going to happen. So I don't know how long you wanted him to wait because of what I remember was people freaking out when he said, we are going to wait and take our time. And you know what, uh, you know what the fans were saying? You're going to waste a prime Joel Embiid season. That's what the people were saying. Yes. So miss me with all that stuff, Phil and everybody else. I love you guys, <laughs> but stop it because you were probably right there in line with the others that were saying you're wasting Joel Embiid's prime, and he's going to ask out of here because you have a guy sitting on the sideline doing nothing, and you're not being proactive to get him a running mate. Okay. I was not awesome. expecting. I was not expecting a spicy Devon and a spicy Kyle that we were getting here. But <laughs> I thought this would be a relatively straightforward. Straight. Like, look, we got a comment. I don't know where it is at this point. Someone saying that CJ was better than. Trading for Harden. Oh, he's not. Are you out of your fucking mind? That's why I said I was what? talking myself what into has, it. What, what has it? CJ McCollum done ever? Well, by, ever. Uh, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> the Pelicans were good when he first got there to make that playoff run. They were good. And he is not a traditional point guard. So I will argue that point. Not to say that that would have happened here, but he was good. But James he was Harden was good. The, the most James games Harden they've won better. in the CJ McCollum era is 42 games. Come on. No, I'm talking about his point guard play overall. It would have been a better team here. His point guard play was okay. Yeah. In no universe is CJ McCollum better than than James Harden at basketball. Zero. None. And you can't, like, here's the other thing. I want to leave the the Halbert and all this stuff behind and focus on other stuff. But I will say this. There is a real universe where – if Hal Burton's on the table and if they trade for him, we are sitting here having similar conversations that they had in Sacramento saying, well, these guys just don't fit together. They got to split them up mm-hmm. and have them on their own team. Like you want to talk about the defensive concerns that you have with that backcourt. Like Hal Burton is a playmaker in a lot of ways defensively, but still susceptible to getting beat up by certain types of guys. 
I don't think he's someone that covers for Maxi's weaknesses defensively. And I think you could end up in a spot where you play these teams that have big wings, like the Boston Celtics, for example, and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum just take turns absolutely punishing yeah. those dudes on switches over and over and over and over again. And that's not to say that James Harden was a good switch defender, right? That's not that we've set all our pieces on the defensive component of that. But people see, hey, Tyrese Halliburton as the guy in Indiana, he's amazing. And he is. I think he's going to be an all-NBA guy for a long time. But you can't just say, well, he's really good in that situation. That means if you drop him into the Sixers, he's going to solve every problem they have and not add a weakness or, or different idiosyncrasies that they have to deal with. There are problems with that acquisition as well. And I'm not saying this to defend Daryl. Like if it ever comes out, yes, Tyrese Halliburton was on the table at this date, at this price, with other stuff attached, whatever, then we can sit here and talk about it. As of right now, December 15th, 2023, every single person I know and trust that covers the NBA, that is involved in the NBA, is basically throwing their hands up and saying, it's not clear. Shrug their shoulders. So I'm moving on. That's all I have to say on that. And, and to your point, dismissing it, just simply saying it's not clear. That's all. It's not yeah. clear. You brought this up before, Kyle. If they traded for Halliburton, I think they're probably in the same spot where they lose in the second round. Like I don't think he was he was ready to drive winning in that way, and the fit was bad enough. Do you want it? Yes, because you have such a long ramp now with Halliburton yeah. and Maxi. Sure, it was a mistake. Don't get me wrong, but I think the a big part of the the anxiety around the Sixers around Maury is that second round wall. And I think we'd still be having that conversation in part. If the Sixers, something happened where they, DeAnthony Milton made a couple threes there in game six. I think a lot of the mm -hmm. tenor around the team around Maury is probably different. I think overall he has done a solid job. I think a B is probably a fair grade. Um, and I just think you want, like, like I said, you're not going to find a perfect GM if you do go out on the hunt again. I think you want some organizational stability. I think you have a good GM. Certainly a guy who has changed the game, but I think overall he's a good GM. Uh, I'm surprised there's this much. I'm not really surprised because the lack of winning drives a lot of this. Um, but I think this was probably the right move. One more right, piece on CJ McCollum. Real quick. Yep. Money Mar says CJ single-handedly carried the Pelicans from a top five pick to almost a playoff berth that season. Won 42 games. Stop. Do you know what their record was in the games that CJ played after getting traded from Portland? 14 um, and 14. They 14 were exactly 500. And so he carried them to complete mediocrity, which is the wow. exact thing that we've been talking about not wanting in Philadelphia. We don't, we're not settling for the second round. We're not settling for this. Like that's what CJ McCollum represents. And I like CJ. I also think he would have been around a, a better collection of talent here. Good talent there. They just weren't re ready to win. That's why you have a 14 and 14 record. He did his part. Some of the others uh, certainly did not in that space, but hey, you know, here here we are. What are some of the other moves, guys? That as as we talk about Daryl Morey's tenure here, year number four. What are some of the other? Let's talk positive moves. What are some of the po more positive things, Derek, that you look at his tenure here and you say this was a good move? This has helped them propel them to this stage, and this is why they are still in the conversation for the contention. What are some of the others that you look at that? really jump out to you that are solid moves made by Darren Moore. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I think getting away from that, um, you know, Josh Richardson, Al Horford disaster class of a fit uh, with minimal asset burn. What do you give up? I think one first round pick to get off of Al Horford's contract. Now, look, Al Horford is still a viable player, um, but he was in a, a terrible fit and that was depressing his value by the day. Uh, so I think to get off of those and specifically the, the Jay Rich and Seth Curry swap was, I think, a real good one. Seth Curry obviously was then flipped in that Harden deal, but he was also a really good pairing for Joel Embiid. We talked about this before, but the Sixers needed to tread water until they were able to make that Harden trade. A lot of that came down to the fact that Embiid was playing at an MVP caliber level and Tyrese Maxey had taken a massive jump. Part of it was also that Seth Curry was a great fit next to Joel Embiid. So I think that was a good move. You know, I think even just drafting B-Ball Paul, getting a viable backup center with a very late pick, I think that was a good move. Um, and a lot of the... Like I said, the, the cleanup trades, he's ended up looking pretty good on, uh, including the last Harden deal. Um, but I give him a lot of credit, like I said, for not stepping on landmines. Like, there were a lot of them here in the last couple of years. Uh, I think those the, the unmade moves are often the biggest ones. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, I think, uh, you know, there were some that I certainly regret. Some of that might come down to Doc. You know, the... Crazy! I I never expected this to happen. Um, But Matisse shooting—he's shooting like thirty-nine percent on a pretty good sample. Now that he's in Portland, uh, letting him go for you know basically luxury tax savings was not great. Isaiah Joe being the best three-point shooter in limited minutes in the league—not great. Yeah, (laughs) not great. Um, So I think there's certainly some uh, misses. Uh, I do think part of that comes down to Doc and the fact that he wasn't going to play him. But, you know, I overall, I think that they're just, um, you know, it's the big moves get a lot of the credit. They should not making mistakes, get some of the credit and they should. And I think there's been a couple of small wins as well. Okay. What are your thoughts? Well, so I will, on the Thibault point that Derek just brought up, I will one say that I didn't want to watch that guy play basketball no, I didn't, anymore. I didn't believe in the shot at all. Same. Didn't believe yep. in the shot. And I will say this. I want to see him shoot the way he's shooting now on a team that's not getting the shit beat out of him every night and games that actually matter because mm-hmm. Matisse Thibault dominating in a low pressure environment. It's not super surprising to me, right? Like he had plenty of, of good moments here. And I, I do so think he's got a chance to long-term be a viable two-way guy. Certainly we know what the defense is. It's really just about maintaining that shot, but I, in big moments, I didn't trust him at all. So no, while that either. looks like a, a clear loss right now, I can't sit here and tell you like, oh yeah, I, I wanted them to keep Thibault. Now the McDaniels component is another story. But uh, yeah, I would say the marginal stuff, they've gotten bigger wins than maybe you expect, right? Like I think they got a lot more out of Andre Drummond, for example, than you would expect from a backup center. I think the Kelly Oubre signing, we were sitting here in September mm-hmm poo-pooing it saying look it's a minimum contract who cares like it's fine taking a flyer on this guy and he's been a real and impactful part of that rotation has been somebody who has helped tie things together was able to step in be a starter as the James Harden stuff is going on and now it's slid back into a, a bench role you know the guys that they specifically got in the trade for Harden the outgoing one like Nick Batum I did not think that Batum was going to be one of those guys included in that. It, from the sound of things, it was a lot of like, hey, they're going to send Morris and Cove 
and maybe some other money for James. Batum was a real guy, like a real playoff rotation guy, someone who empowered the Clippers to play small ball. So getting someone like him, I thought was an important concession that he got the Clippers to agree to. There's lots of little stuff. Derek's point about Seth Curry for Josh Richardson is a great one because I think people forget now how instrumental Curry was to that team for a couple of years there. Certainly in the period prior to James arriving, he's one of the only reasons they were able to stay afloat, right? Like Joel getting to an MVP level is the biggest reason, but Seth was a great partner for him, someone who scaled up and was awesome in an offensive role at the very least. So there have been plenty of wins. There hasn't been, I saw someone say in the chat earlier, been a lot of singles and doubles. Hasn't been a home run. I think the maxi selection is a home run. However much credit you want to give to him for that, I understand in the circumstances, but the rest of the league had the opportunity or 20 teams had the opportunity to select him and did not. Sixers did certainly gets credit for that. So I get it. Look, the the city wants more than the second round. Completely understandable. They want more than PJ Tucker as the big offseason signing. This offseason is going to, I think, Devon, you said this earlier. I think it's right. This offseason will define in many ways what people think of Daryl Morey. He will reject that premise because I think he believes it's constantly evolving. I make this move. It doesn't work out. I do this to correct it. He sees the roster constantly evolving. But if you sell the cap space plan and you pick up the extra picks and everyone is waiting for the other shoe to drop and you don't turn that into something either prior to this deadline or sometime next offseason, the natives will be upset. And I think they'll probably have good reason to be. Yeah, one for me that um, the D'Anthony Melton on draft night, that was a really big one. I was really interested and excited to see that one take place that night because of his versatility. Still believe, and I know you guys are right there with me, that he is eventually at his best, a six-man still playing close to 30 minutes because there's less pressure on him, in my opinion. He comes in and he just balls out in that way. Still very good as a starter, but I think he's even better as a six-man. So that was one for me. Uh, The fact that uh, he was able to in this deal because I didn't see the Nick Batum part while I watched him with the Clippers. I wasn't sure how that would really now materialize the Philadelphia. Once the deal went down, I was very curious because all we kept hearing was Terrence Mann or Norm Powell as at least the leaders to go along with the expirings of Morris and Covington and picks and, and all, but no, the best one to really fit with what they do, a Nick Nurse offense, is absolutely Nick Batum. So that was really good, in my opinion. It's a joy to watch him because of all the little intangibles that we talk about when we watch the game together. Oh, look at that bounce pass. Look at that touch pass. Look at that quick shot from the corner because the man just knows how to play his basketball in a way that helps you win. And there are... As many people said, a lot of singles, a lot of doubles, but the home run of Tyrese Maxey, it's not his fault that the other teams didn't take him. It's his fault and his scouting and whoever else was involved and not letting him get past them. And when he did, maybe some things happened a certain way. We don't know how it would have gone with Doc Rivers had Ben Simmons been there. I still don't believe Doc Rivers when he said, I told Tyrese Maxey to get ready, you're starting, no matter what, whether Simmons is here or not. Never believe that. 
But when he got the opportunity, Doc likes to, to tell some stories, Devon. So I, yes, I'm, I'm with I mean, it was it was it was just Tyrese's idea to go to the bench. He was just Duh, listening yeah. to Tyrese. You <laughs> know, let's go to the bench. It. Even though he told us later, I was not happy with that decision. And then, um, you know, Tyrese Maxey turned out to be a really good player. You have to give credit where credit is due. He doesn't have to be your favorite general manager or president of basketball operations. You just have to identify when he does things good, just like we identify when he does things poorly. And those are some of the things that have really stood out to me. And then also, I'll, I'll say this one, hiring Nick Nurse. We haven't seen the I, end result that's yet. That's exactly where I was going to go next. Yeah. Well, you're on it. Haven't seen the end result yet. But so far, while we have some little things that we're like, ah, Nick, you could have done this one a little differently. Nick Nurse is a good coach. And Nick Nurse so far has done a nice job in helping to change how the culture is here. They're 16 and seven with an opportunity tonight to go 10 games over 500. Opportunity. Well, fucking better. Fucking well, better. You know that. A game and a half, what? A game and a half back of first place after uh, 23 games. Nick Nurse is the other win for me when it comes to Daryl Morey making that higher. And if you want to even go take a little bit of a step back from the Nick Nurse hires, just simply saying, okay, whether it was upstairs over top of him with uh, Josh Harrison and, and Blitzer. They got rid of Doc Rivers, too, when they felt like the time was right to get rid of Doc Rivers. So those are a couple of things for me. Isaiah Joe, all of that stuff that we talk about, those are the ones that really stand out to say, yeah, you made a mistake there. So I won't rehash that. James Harden, parting gift to the franchise, getting Doc Rivers out of town. <laughs> so on the Nick Nurse front, I do think it's important to note here, too, that this was an offseason with a lot of high-profile coach openings, right? They're competing with... You had Milwaukee with Giannis, essentially, right? You have Phoenix with Kevin Durant, just a ride. So you think he's going to be there for the next three, four years. Have Devin Booker in place as the franchise anchor there. And as the Sixers, you have Joel Embiid, but there's all the rumors about, well, what's going to happen with Joel? He might ask out after next season and it's start that's, even early in the offseason, that's starting to build. And selling Nick on coming here was probably, I, I don't, wouldn't even say probably, I would say that's the most important thing he did in the offseason, and that includes everything that happened with Harden because they that's... could have very well ended up in a spot where they had a shitty coach, not looking at anyone in particular, Milwaukee. Um, you, you could very well have ended up with a bad coach, start the year off poorly. And then all the rumors about Joel in the off season, even his own quotes, he was on a stage saying like, I don't know if it's going to be in Philadelphia. I just want to win somewhere that could have spiraled extremely quickly. And by hiring nurse and, and bringing some level of stability to the organization that has at least bought them a little bit of time to figure things out. That's one thing. Like when we talk about stability, it's not just, consistency it's also joel Embiid. like you know i think the way we're phrasing it we're presenting it daryl is a good good but flawed gm okay let's say maybe there is even a chance that you could upgrade him two years down the line by by finding a five percent better gm but is that worth it for joel Embiid to then go through another change another regime change maybe another gms when they come they usually want to bring in their own coach or there might even be another coaching change like at some point, does Joel Embiid just go, enough is enough, get me out of here because you guys can't stop tripping over yourselves? And for what gain? Like, for what gain are we talking about here? So again, I don't think 
Daryl's perfect. I don't think a perfect GM exists out there. Uh, I think every GM that you're going to look at that they would hire, there's going to be some wins, some losses, some very big wins, some huge mistakes or missed opportunities. That is the nature of this business. I think overall, Daryl is, like I said, a good GM. Even if there was a, a minor upgrade out there, at some point, you need to actually commit to an organizational structure or your, your, your star player is going to get freaking frustrated and leave, and you would understand why. And it's just, you know, I think, like I said, I think they're top four in place now with Mbita Maxi on the court, having then Maury and Nurse to run the basketball ops and, and, and coach. Uh, I think it's good to have that kind of consistency locked in in place. All right, uh, before we get out of here, because we do have a post-game show tonight, and we're going to see a lot of the good people with our uh, takeover, a PHLY Sixers takeover. We'll see you for a little bit. We don't know how long um, at the arena. Uh, what's next? You know, when you look at this, we talk, Kyle, you mentioned the offseason. Someone in the chat mentioned the offseason also. But we do have a trade deadline. So, you know, what are you looking for next from Maury to push this thing even further? I would say creativity. You know, if there's one piece of criticism I think is worth sticking with as the fans, it's that the big moves last offseason were, hey, bring in the former Rockets, and you're just basically appeasing James Harden in certain ways. And, you know, we've we've beaten the topics to death, right? Zach Levine, Ananobi, Siakam, all the, the three guys, the four guys with Caruso, the four horsemen of the trade apocalypse are all we discuss ever. I want to see Daryl pull a Melton type trade off at the deadline, right? Like DeAnthony Melton was a good role player in Memphis that wasn't really publicly reported that he was available. And Daryl flips Danny Green and a late first to get him. Danny Green, who was, had just torn his ACL, by the way. So effectively just flipped a, a late first for him. Those are the type of moves that I want to see materialize out of nothing, essentially. I would like to see – it's not good enough to say, well, these are the stars who are available, so we're not making a move. I, I think Daryl is capable, and the rest of the front office, Elton Brand supporting him certainly, they're capable of upgrading this team if there's not like an all-in, megastar type deal available – and they can make this team better without sacrificing depth. That's the challenge ahead. If there is a big star that becomes available, the Sixers are well positioned. I know, I think it was Ishmael in the chat brought up, and this will be a topic for another day, that Jake Fisher alluded to today that Lowry Markinen is more available than maybe previously expected. And that's just to say that he's not completely untouchable, not that he's like, they're itching to trade him. There's going to be an opportunity, maybe multiple opportunities between now and February to make something happen. Got the extension. He's got the security. He's going to be here. Now go out there, try to make this team a real contender. Derek, is there anything you you look at for Daryl Morey, of course, going forward that really has you have your eye on to see if he can, again, make this thing go further than the second round? I mean, we talk about the trade deadline, I feel like four times a week. So it would be yep. you know, what he does in the mm -hmm. next couple of months. He's, and that's what I'll say. Like he, I think Daryl has been playing a game that is tough to play um, because there's, it's, uh, he was a little bit limited in the moves he could make and you were trying just not to make mistakes. He's now at the point where he has real assets to work with and want to see what he does with those. 
Um, uh, nothing really profound here to say, because like I said, we talk about this trade deadline four days a week uh, and we will continue <laughs> to do so. But what does he use for those assets for? It's a spot he hasn't really been. He hasn't been flush with assets at any point of a Sixers uh, tenure. And to have Embiid and, and Maxi and now some assets to play with. Uh, yeah, I'm real interested to see what he does. Doesn't look like a lot of people in the chat want to do business with Danny Ainge. Phil and others. Understandably so. <laughs> Fleecing the Sixers. Fleecing the Sixers. Well, we appreciate everybody checking in. You know, unprompted. We we uh, absolutely had to do an emergency podcast with this news dropping again. Daryl Morey signed a three-year extension with the 76ers that takes him through, what is it, 27-28 campaign or 26-27 yes. campaign? And um, he's going to be here a while. So, folks, get used to it. We thank you for checking in with us, hanging out with us. This afternoon, we hope that you can join us post game. Also, as the Sixers maybe, maybe Derek extend the 22 game losing streak there for the Detroit Pistons in South Philadelphia. Maybe they better, but I'm just saying maybe because I'm not. Guarantees. If they lose tonight, I I just <laughs> I don't I don't know what I'll do. But I, I fire Mori on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> take that back. He doesn't leave the take building. Three years back. Care. Take the three years back. Well, we appreciate Kyle. Did you want to run some people or you want to well, wait? Well, yeah. Them? First, I wanted to say I was a little punchy on all the Halliburton stuff today. I do want to reiterate I love you guys and I love that you're here. You're I just a pain in the be, ass sometimes. I just want to be clear. Families it, fight, man. It's okay. There's, there's a lot of information out there that doesn't mean that it's good information. So, shout out to Martian Lynch, Money Mar, Eugene, RJ, and Phil. You guys have been super active today. Thank you very much. Remo, Jay of the Jungle, Ishmael, Spider-Man. A lot of names here, guys. Love seeing you guys here. Thank you for being with us on an unplanned stream, obviously. I believe this is on YouTube, yeah? So if you are on YouTube with us, hit that subscribe button. Bell icon will get you more notifications so you can see us each and every time we go live, like when we did on Prompted today. And if you hit the thumbs up button on the video, that'll help us out a great deal moving forward. Thank you guys for being with us. Thank you to anyone who's coming to our PHLY takeover, takeover. at the Wells Fargo takeover. Center on Friday night. I look forward to meeting Which, somebody. By the way, Kyle, Kyle and I will have to duck out for a minute because there is now a press conference to talk oh, about. Oh, I'm there, ducking Warren. out too. Yeah. Have, we, oh, wow. We, so we're all going to abandon you. And we then, have to talk about it. So we'll catch up. We'll catch up with you afterwards as here's well. Here's what I'll say. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll buy some beers for everyone as a, a and Here's what I'll say. For, maybe I won't even really be yeah. paying attention to the game. So like it'll make the post game pod a little interesting, but I'll get to hang out with you guys a little bit longer. So we'll see. Exactly. There you go. There you go. Uh, we appreciate everybody as Kyle and Derek just shouted everybody out, especially you, Phil. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you guys later on for Kyle, for Derek. I'm Devon Brianna doing a bang up job, of course, getting us up right here to get this pod going. We appreciate everybody. And we'll talk to you post game tonight right here on the PHLY Sixers podcast. We'll talk to you later. We all city like the mayor. 